This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. A lot of times when I speak to people, I tell them, I'll point out into a crowd of people and I'll say, to put it into perspective, these statistics, one, two, three, her. One, two, three, four, five, him. And it's, people go, whoa, it's that prevalent, huh? So I think it's really just a hard thing to hear. We, we don't want to think that people are harming children every single day, all the time, everywhere. But it's absolutely true. And so also, when these adults grow up, after being abused as children, and they don't want to talk about it, a lot of it has to do with everything that happened when they were children and the way their brains were developed. It, it stunts the growth of the hippocampus, of the, the amygdala, the, the way they experience feelings and the way they express feelings. So everything gets very distorted. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. Dr. John Boyle is accused of killing his wife, Noreen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania. The 12-year-old son finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. It was about this loud. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty. When I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself. And it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Hey, movers. Welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Murder. I'm your host, Collier Landry, and what's going on? What's going on, people? Happy Friday. Another episode in the books. Hey, fall is upon us. And look, I am like the endless summer type guy. I mean, I think you get it with the long hair. I live by the beach, right? Ah, But the sun is setting earlier. It makes me so sad. But it does mean that this time of year brings about one of the coolest holidays, I think, Halloween. And the time for ghouls and goblins and scary things and trick-or-treating and candy and playing dress up and all that fun stuff. Now, I don't usually dress up. But, um, and I'm not going to, by the way, (laughs) but, oh, actually I do. I have a costume contest thing in a few days on my Patreon. I do a live meet and greet every month. And this month we are doing a costume contest and we'll see who wins. It'll be really fun. But if you're not on my Patreon, check it out. Patreon.com forward slash call your Landry. But, uh, every Halloween they have Halloween Horror Nights here in Los Angeles at the Universal Studios lot. And I got to go this year. I mean, I haven't been in probably like five, six years, but I got to go this year because my dear friend and co-host of Survivor Squad, Tara Newell, got tickets and we got the VIP front of the line passes and uh, we got to see everything go through all the haunted houses. They had like a a weekend, uh, you know, if you guys know the, the artist, The Weekend, he has like his own haunted house there. There was the Halloween exhibit. We went to the Terror Tram, all this like cool stuff. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, but man, the place was packed. 
and um i like i don't know how people do it 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 that's i mean some of those lines were like 150 minutes long if we didn't have the front of the line passes i don't know what i would have done i would have gone crazy but thank you to my dear friend tara newell for hooking that up and for universal studios for hooking us up with those tickets you guys are awesome i want to get to this week's listener comment of the week this one comes from amy trunell and she writes on my episode, which is called Surviving Narcissism and a Murder in Mansfield, when I talked to the psychologist who was in my film Murder in Mansfield, we discussed my father and sociopathy and narcissism. So Amy Trunell on YouTube writes, fantastic episode. I learned a lot that will help me deal with my narcissistic family, and it gave me a new way to think about forgiveness. Look, I do this program for a lot of reasons, but... Probably the most important reason is for me to share my experiences and hope to make like this little bit of difference in your world, right? And to connect with you guys and to get you guys thinking and talking about things like trauma and survivors and and knowing that you're not alone in this world when you go through all these challenging circumstances. And look, your circumstances don't have to be like mine. Mine are so extreme. And I always say this to people whether I'm coaching them or I'm just like giving an interview or whatever it is, right? I always say, like, your experience is unique to you, right? And it doesn't, just because my story is so extreme doesn't make yours any less impactful to who you are and what you've been through. I'm just sort of the exception to the rule and not the norm, right? That said, me being able to share my experiences with you guys in this way where you actually are listening to the material and going, hey, you know what? I really need to deal with these things with my family. I really need to explore forgiveness. I need to explore all these things that have been holding me back. That makes me feel so good to make that impact. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you to Amy for reaching out and saying that comment. Makes me feel really good. Like what I'm doing is all worth it in the end and making the impact that I hope that it has on you guys. And speaking of making an impact, so my guest today saw something in the world that she wanted to change. And that was the physical and sexual abuse of children. And she decided like, how can I make an impact on their world, on the world as a whole to make things better and to just participate in the smallest way to make such a big impact. And what she is doing with her nonprofit, it just some of the stuff that she's doing just really resonates with me. And I know it would have resonated with my mother too. So I'm pleased to welcome to the program, Susie Viberall. I'm Susie Viberall, and I'm the CEO and founder of Room Redux. And we transform the rooms and lives of children who have faced sexual and physical abuse. We do this anonymously so the children never see us. And we do this in one day. I mean, there's so there's so many questions I have for you. I think the, the first one would be is why... How did you get into this work? I've always had a passion, a desire to help children, really to help the innocent, so animals, the elderly, children. And I was a family advocate at a children's advocacy center for a little while. And every day I would hear the horrific stories of what's happening to children out there, unfathomable things at the hands of adults. And I would hear these caregivers and these parents say she's in counseling that's going great 
but she's not sleeping in her room. She hasn't slept in her room in five years. Or he doesn't want to go in his room. He doesn't want to have friends over. He's afraid to sleep in his room. He's uncomfortable. And so it seemed like a natural thing to transform their rooms. They're going back to this room where abuse occurred. Or maybe it didn't. Maybe there are triggers in the room. Or maybe it happened somewhere else, grandpa's house or a hotel, but they still deserve to know that they're loved and cared about by people who don't even know them and who expect nothing from them. And that's how I got started. So when you were working at this children's center, you, you, you just, I mean, it's just an unfortunate thing. I, because of my story, a lot of people reach out to me and obviously they, thank God, <laughs> most of them don't have a parent that was murdered by another parent, but they are often, more often than not, survivors of, of domestic violence, sexual assault, and mostly as at the hand of a parental figure or a, an adult figure in their life. And it's really, really tragic. Statistically, so you're based in Texas, correct? Yes, New Braunfels, Texas. It's right between San Antonio and Austin. And do you, do most of your cases, most of the rooms and the cases that you're working on, are they located in Texas? Not anymore. We started out here, you know, doing room transformations here. We did two room transformations in 2017, three in 2018, 13 in 2019, all in Texas. And then, boom, we started to explode like wildfire and started opening up chapters across the U.S. And so now we're up to, I believe, after yesterday, where we had two room transformations here in Texas, I think we're up to seven, 172 room transformations, and that's a, across the country. So we've had room transformations in Denver, Colorado, Northern Michigan, Willamette Valley, Oregon, Sacramento, California, Bay Area, California, Atlanta, Georgia, Shreveport, Bossier City, St. Louis, so all over, all over the U.S. And we filed in the U.K. We're about to file in Ireland, Israel, and the Philippines. So the goal is to help every child in every city, every state, every country because the statistics are staggering. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely unreal that one in 10 children are going to be sexually abused before the age of 18. That actually sounds like a conservative estimate to me. One, yeah. one in 10. Oh, it is. <clears throat> it is. I mean, we say one in four girls, one in six boys, but that's just what's reported. Not all children make an outcry. Why, why do you think that is? Is that just because they don't feel the adults could believe them? Or... What in your what in your opinion is the cause of that? I think that's that's what it is sometimes, but also these perpetrators against these children are threatening them. They tell them, "Don't you tell, don't tell, or you're going to get in trouble, or it's going to disrupt the whole entire family." And that frightens children. They, as badly as they want abuse to stop, they don't want to have this happen to them. They they don't want their whole world to change. Children like routine, they, they know what they know, they, they're comfortable in that. And even if it's scary, they still, they don't want to completely rip apart their whole family. And so it's fear. A lot of it's just fear. And, and shame, too. A lot of them feel guilty. Well, I guess it's me. I brought that on. Uh, I, I'm a bad person. Guilt, shame, all of that gets rolled up in there. And they, you know, I think oftentimes the not, like when I speak to these adults who have become 
you know, adult survivors that are still living with this trauma, they are often still in that cycle of shame, self-blame, you know, and then sometimes engage in practices of self-harm, whether that is cutting, whether that is substance abuse, whether that is you know, repeating the cycle of abuse in adulthood where getting with a partner that abuses them physically, mentally, sexually, exploits them, or, uh, you know, it, it really becomes an epidemic at that point. It absolutely does. And for, for children who grow up to be adults and have never told, that's something that then they feel like, well, I, I, I can't tell now. I don't want to speak up now, or they do. Like you said, they feel that guilt and the shame for all of that, and they don't want anyone to know, so they sometimes never speak up. I've spoken at places where people have come up to me afterward and said, I've never told anybody, but it happened to me. I was sexually abused when I was little. I was speaking at a networking event one time, and a 70-year-old woman who ran this networking, networking group, after I sat down, she stood up there, and she just kind of walked around, and she said... I was sexually abused at the age of five years old, and then I was raped when I was in college, and I've never told a soul, not even my husband of 55 years. So just hearing what I told her and that what's happening with these children, I feel like she felt brave enough to say it out loud and that, oh, it does happen to other people. It's not just her. It was powerful. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I mean, yeah, it's it's powerful and heartbreaking at the same time. It is. Do you, for me, why do you think people are afraid to discuss these these narratives and these situations? Why do you think it has to get to a certain point where it's just like it can't hold back any, anymore? Why do you think that there's not more of a conversation about this and... and this country and across the world because you know not only i mean we live in the united states but not only do we have issues with you know this here but it's also it's across the world and in some cultures it's even promoted a lot of ways which is very unfortunate why 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 do you think that 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 we're afraid to really talk about or it's so taboo to discuss this I feel like the word is coming out a little bit more nowadays. It, there's been a lot of focus, a lot of attention on trafficking, human trafficking, child exploitation, child sex abuse material. People are starting to become more aware of that. But it's such a hard thing to to listen to. It's such a, a hard thing to wrap your head around. I mean, for for me personally, when I hear these horrific stories, and I'm telling you, it's they're horrible, these things that are happening. It's almost like there's a wall. So my mind doesn't can't go into it. I know that it's happening to children, and I know what the facts are, but it's so incredibly hard to grasp. And when, a lot of times when I speak to people, I tell them, I'll point out into 
a crowd of people and I'll say, to put it into perspective, these statistics, one, two, three, her. One, two, three, four, five, him. And it's, people go, whoa, it's that prevalent, huh? So I think it's really just a hard thing to hear. We, we don't want to think that people are harming children every single day, all the time, everywhere. But it's absolutely true. And so also when these adults grow up, after being abused as children and they don't want to talk about it, a lot of it has to do with everything that happened when they were children and the way their brains were developed. It, it, it stunts the growth of the hippocampus, of the, the amygdala, the, the way they experience feelings and the way they express feelings. So everything gets very distorted. That's a very poignant moment that you just described when you are standing on a stage and you just go one, two, three, you, one, two, three, you. I mean, that really, that really puts this in perspective in so many ways. Yeah. It's like, I think we've, we've developed this sort of culture where if we just sweep these things under the rug, they're going to just go away. Right. If we don't right. deal with it, if we hide our eyes, it's like peekaboo, right? <laughs> if you're if you're hiding your eyes, then you know, oh nobody's gonna see, right? Not happening. And it's it. <sighs> Have there been? Why why don't you? Why don't you tell us about some of, you know the stories that have really touched you that you guys have really seen yourselves. I mean, well, actually describe to me what you do. Like, what is the process of this? How does this happen? How do you select the children? How do you sort of select the families? How, how do you do your background on them to, to verify stories or to like, how does that all work? Explain to me that process. So really the only prerequisites are that the child has faced sexual or physical abuse and they are in counseling and that's important because they have to be getting that part of the healing puzzle before we come in and change their environment. They have to be getting that part. So you so, so you want to make sure that they're in therapy and Oh yes. And then do you have do you work yes. with like CPS? Yep, we get our referrals from CPS, law enforcement, counselors, psychologists. Uh, we're a referral source for the FBI, Homeland Security. That way we know that the perpetrator has been caught and is out of the picture that that's imperative we people often ask well you go back into the house where where they've lived and where it happened isn't the perpetrator there absolutely not that's why we go through those agencies to make sure that the child is now safe and on that road to healing step step one is is no more perp perp has to be put away or out of yes. the picture got it absolutely i mean hopefully in prison doesn't always happen but that's always my hope yeah exactly <laughs> but but definitely out of the picture. That way the child can focus on, on moving forward. But once we get a referral, then we make contact with the parent or the caregiver and we set a date to go assess the room when the child's not there because they never see us. And we'll go in, there's always two of us just you know to make sure and it makes it easier, but we'll measure the walls, the windows, the doors. We take pictures of everything. Um, we find out, I have a questionnaire, What? is her favorite color. What colors does she hate? What does he want to be when he grows up? What's her favorite animal? What would they like in the room? 
lately I feel like we're putting a lot of mini fridges in rooms, which is super fun. Kind of makes me want one <laughs> my own. <laughs> but, you know, a game system or a television, things like that. And then we leave and we get to work. So when I do room transformations, I get this design in my head. I can just see how the room should be, how it's going to look. And it's interesting, too, because we can talk to the counselors and find out what kind of therapeutic tools do you suggest? Fidget toys, a meditation area, maybe it's music or a diffuser or squishies, things like that. Punching bag. We put a punching bag in a girl's room one time, which is awesome. <laughs> so we get that design together and then we name the room transformation because we don't want to sling children's names around. So we do lots of fun room transformation names. And then once we do that, we get the design together, we'll do an Amazon Smile wish list and put it out there and people can shop for this room transformation or we go purchase things or people donate. We get a lot of, we get paint donated and flooring, all kinds of fun stuff. And we set a date to go transform the room when the child's not there. They're either at school or we'll send them somewhere fun for the day. And we show up usually 8 a.m. with a bunch of volunteers who all have background checks because we're going to the home of a vulnerable you know, child. And we take everything out of the house. Now, I will say that I have we find out first, what can we take out of the room? What do you want to stay in the room? What do you want to stay in the house? Usually they say, take everything, just take it away. Don't want any of it. And then we get to work, we transform. I mean, we had two room transformations yesterday in a facility. We're doing a collaboration with an organization. It's a reunification type process where they can go back into the home. And it turned out beautifully. Just, I mean, we had a muralist, we did murals and, uh, but oftentimes we'll go in and put down new flooring, paint, new light fixtures, new bedding, always a new bed because we never know, you know, what happened in the room for sure. Sure, sure. And um, we'll do safety stuff too. So one time I know that we had, it was an eight-year-old girl and she had been sexually abused by her brother in her bedroom. And so we wanted to make sure there are no spaces where anyone can hide. I mean, he's out of the picture. He's in jail. But still, you know, we want her to feel safe. So we, the closet door, we changed it to a glass closet door. So it's not, you can't hide in there. You can still see in there. Yeah. Things like that. Shades, window coverings, all very important because sometimes children feel, they feel very vulnerable, you know, with the windows exposed like that. So we're very detailed and every single room is very, very tailored to each child. No cookie cutter. It sounds like it. (laughs) It totally sounds like it. You want one, don't you? I know you do call your- I Well, uh, to be quite honest with you, I mean, I did not live, I did not live in the house where my mother was murdered. And right. the, but I could imagine if that had happened, or if I had to stay there, then yeah, I would have, something like that would have brought me a lot of solace. Well, you say that, but it makes me wonder too, when you were in your room and you heard the footsteps and you talk about the Batman clock, is that a trigger? for you at all Batman or thinking about that clock or clock is actually sitting under my desk as we speak um and I have this little Batman figurine next to me uh you know I've never really talked about it much on my program but I do want to do a whole episode about (laughs) my my, uh sort of uh correlation with Batman (laughs) I suppose my direct correlation but yeah I think that like when I think of even that morning, you know, waking up at, at 
three in the morning to the sound of the scream and the thuds, you know, hearing the thuds, then the footsteps and looking at the things. I mean, that's that's burned into my mind. Right. What you know, the clock on the wall, the mural that was on my wall of me in a little sailboat, um, the carpet, the corner of my bed, my dresser. Like I can see all those things still in my mind to this moment that we're talking. Mm. And I think that, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if those would be considered triggering for me, but it is a memory that I, that I, that I can't shake, if that makes sense. I can't. And I think that for me, like when I relate to what you're doing or I relate to, um, I relate to what was happening. It, it, I relate I relate to what has happened with these children, even though I was not a victim of sexual abuse. I, you know, I understand. And, and I think that's why so many people reach out to me because of this program who do have a history of, the, of sexual trauma and, and domestic violence because, and, and I saw domestic violence growing up. My father was very violent with myself and my mother, but, you know, I think if I had to live back in the place where all of it occurred, I don't know how I would have handled it. I mean, even I just recently went back home to Mansfield, Ohio, and I actually toured through the home uh, just to do some TikTok videos. And I, it's, it's, it's wild because you're looking at it and, you know, I do, I do this in the film of Murder in Mansfield, but I walk, you know, I'm walking through the house and I'm just looking at it from an adult perspective. And it's just like when I see, everything looks so small. And I know that probably is obvious because you're an adult. But everything seems so much bigger as a child than it is as an adult. And I think that having this, um, this, uh, these memories in my, in my head of what was happening, you know, I'll never shake that. Right. But I can see how if I was, I mean, I got my own room transformation. I was yanked out of my house. I was thrown into foster care and then I was in a room there. And then I was finally adopted, you know, a year later and I lived in a new room then. And so I had my own sort of room redux, if you will. But I think that if, if, I, if something like that had occurred where I was able to maybe have that, go through that process where it's like a clean slate because I never even though I had it in that sort of way, I feel like a, a total clean slate is, is really the first step to the first step on the path to healing for a child. Absolutely. And that's why I really I mean, it's dig perspective. Yeah. And that's why I really dig what you guys are doing. So you talked us through sort of through the process and we talk, tell me about some, some success stories. There's so many. <laughs> They're so awesome. We wonderful. get the it's wonderful. <laughs> I could fill up four hours of podcast. We just get the best feedback. It's so awesome. And not even just what the child says or what their reaction is, but even the parent or the caregiver, they feel like they have an advocate. They feel like, oh, I have support. It's it's not just me out there losing my mind over what's going on with my child. Like there's somebody I, I can talk to or I can reach out to because we don't just transform the room and then see ya. You know, we we contact them. We stay in contact for sometimes forever. I mean, we've but there's still people that I talk to that we transformed the rooms in 2019 and they still donate. Like they they now donate to room transformations. We've had 
former recipients come out as they've gotten older with their mom come out and help transform a room so that's huge that that the parents and caregivers can feel like oh I'm giving back also they did this for my child and now I can help other children I love that part I think that's huge and it and even volunteers when they come a lot of times I hear you know it happened to me and that's why I want to be here and I can help in this way I mean a lot of people don't come to room transformations because it happened to them and they're not ready for that and that's fine they then they donate or they um, they post on social media for us things like that so it's interesting how everybody can help in any type of way and you said I, I dig what you do but we say we are room redux because it takes everybody so if you've donated time money furniture volunteered posted on social media thought about us done a podcast then you are room redux by the way <laughs> just so you know that's very cool uh so yeah. there was a room that we did for a 14 year old boy a few years ago and it was him and his mom who lived in this home and neither of them really had much self-worth or confidence didn't take a whole lot of pride in their home or themselves essentially and it was it was not a hoarder type situation really good mom it was just more there's a lot of stuff everywhere uh, to where you had to really take big steps to step over things and so we transformed his room it was called safety zone and he liked football the University of Texas Longhorns he liked Dallas Cowboys so we made the coolest room ever for him and then apparently the next day he asked his mom if he could stay home from school and she said no you can't uh. stay home from school just to enjoy your <laughs> new room and he said no mom I feel so good in my room I want to help you clean the whole house we've got to oh, organize wow. oh. yes and so the CPS caseworker she called me two weeks later she said Susie I went and did a home visit and it gives me chills saying it I don't know why I still get chills but and so I, wonderful. I can walk through the house. It is clean. It's everything's picked up. Things are organized. And then six months later, that mom called me and said, "Hi, I have this big chair that I would really like to donate." Oh, that's huge. I know. And so I went and got it. And it's not something we would use in a room transformation. It, you know, I took it to Goodwill. But the whole point was she felt so good to give back. And so I got it and Absolutely. thanked her. And Absolutely. Yeah, just really neat. But we hear all the time, too, stories about children who absolutely do not sleep in their room. <clears throat> their rooms are just a mess. And I mean, above and beyond a teenage room, you know, what they normally sure, look like. Sure, of but course. Just they don't want to be in there. And no. uh, the feedback we get is, she won't even come out of her room now. It's the nicest room <laughs> in the house. We all go in there. <laughs> oh, that's really wonderful. Yeah, just wonderful things. And you mentioned cutting earlier. There's a child who we did a room transformation for, and she actually wasn't there that weekend because she was in a, a hospital because she had tried to cut. She was cutting herself. And now she is so healed and that fresh start just turned her life around she now mentors children who are going through the same kind of thing like she tells them you don't need to cut like let's let's change the position of your bed or let's let's do this and just That's so great yeah That's so great you know one of the things that i've often argued 
not argued, but but really just said that I, I think is a necessary process of tra- trauma healing, and maybe you agree with this, is, you know, I, I did a TED Talk, and I talked about, like, when you look at trauma, you're trying to understand why, right? And instead of looking at why, because that looks in the past, what now is like an action, and it leads you to the present, right? It looks to the future, really. And do you feel that that when these that that's what you guys are doing in a way like you're saying we're not going to look into the past this is the future and when you have these volunteers that come in that have had similar experiences to these child to these children when you have a volunteer that comes in that has a similar experience to these children that that's what they're doing they're using their trauma and they're leading themselves through it by saying okay what now what are we going to do together to heal and to move past this absolutely it's so cathartic. It can be so cathartic for volunteers, for people who, who, who do this. You know, it's almost as if they are tending to their inner child or their, their small selves back then, kind of in a way. And, yeah, not getting stuck in the past. I, I like to say we're on the happy side of the trauma. You know, we're, it's I like the, that. Yeah, it's like the that. end of the abuse and it's the road to healing. And they're working things out in counseling, but then to be able to transform the lens through which they're looking at the world, essentially, because these children, then they come to know the world's not always such a scary place. They're not always people who want to hurt you or do bad things to you or to your family, things like that. Some people care about you and, you know, don't, don't require a thank you or don't require anything from you, expect nothing from you. That... I think that's huge. And these room transformations, what they do too, sometimes, because parents will say, they'll say, what do I tell her? Like, what do I even tell him when he gets home? And I say, you say whatever whatever you want. (laughs) Whatever you want, because we split before they get home. They're not going to see us. So you can say, you did it. You can say you got friends to do it. (laughs) You know, sometimes it can... Do you have parents or or caregivers that take credit? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Because... Imagine this. Imagine there's a 14-year-old girl and her perpetrator uh, was her mom's boyfriend, right? So she may feel like mom didn't protect her or why'd you let this happen to me? There can be some animosity right there. So that knowing that mom loves you and did this for you, that can help repair a relationship. Yeah. You know, repair that damage. Yeah. Or if a child has been put in a kinship type placement, maybe they've been placed with grandma or a family cousin and they have other children they may not feel like they belong i mean i'm i'm sure you have thought a, that yeah what, what is it for those that don't know like what is a kinship well it's just when they're placed with kin a, a family member or a friend of the family so that they are not put into foster care right away um you know just or right. if it, it might even be temporary while a parent's trying to get their stuff together before Got they can it. come back but if they go into a house and there are other children, they, they feel like, do I even belong here? Do they want me here? We always put children's names in their rooms so they know. Because we've had children yeah. walk in and pick up things. You know, like, this, this is mine. These, these things are mine. Aww. Yeah, we your names in there. So it, it, it can help them feel more at home and loved and cared about and like they belong. They should be there. That's a really cool way to handle it and it's and it's great that you guys can just 
you know, it's not an ego thing. It's a, it's a, we're doing this and you guys take the credit and you guys show it. And exactly like, you know, I think, yeah, there's a lot of these kids that, you know, they blame their, their parent or their guardian for not protecting them and offering that parent or guardian the, a chance to have a fresh start with that child to show, hey, you know, I did this for you, or I did it, or, or I got people to do it, or me and my friends did it, or whatever that looks like, right? It's a really amazing moment where you can sort of speed up the healing of that family. I mean, that's really cool. I love it so much. We had a room transformation. Actually, it was three room transformations in one home for six children, six and seven-year-old in one room, boy and girl, by the way, Batman and unicorns. That was fun. Uh, 12 and 13 year old girl and then mom was pregnant she had her baby two days after the room transformations by the way and she had a three-year-old and so six kids we did flooring paint everything and we actually that weekend we sent them to a, a local resort just so they could go and have a good time and be That's away so yeah just you know go and have a good time and it was the mom the grandma and then the kids and the, the grandma when she got back she told me what she told them. And she said, remember when we didn't take you to McDonald's? We couldn't afford to take you to McDonald's? It's because we were saving up so that we could do all this for y'all. <laughs> Isn't that cool? That's, like, wonderful. I know. <laughs> I, I'm just surprised. I mean, are there other people that do this? No. I know everyone says, everyone, counselors, uh, FBI people, like they're like, no-brainer. It just seems like a, such a no-brainer. <laughs> like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And it's in, and you guys get corporate sponsors, I'm assuming, right? Or you're probably on your way to getting, you know, like a Home Depot or a Lowe's or a home repair. So it's like some place they could, you know, donate paint and flooring and, and, you know. That would be awesome. I'm always working on that always work at mattresses we would love to have someone donate all the mattresses because we always put new mattresses so yeah, yeah. definitely and they're expensive on it. they are what does it cost to transfer a room on average around i would say between two thousand to twenty five hundred dollars which is really nothing well, when that's you're talking not about that bad no <laughs> it's a simple way to help a child you know and it's so tangible too i think that's why everybody loves it because we love befores and afters hair yeah. makeup all the things but to see a room uh, there's there how many how many reality shows have been de have been developed around I, huh? I did it i was a director of photography on a pool show and we would remake the pools everybody loved watching the, i mean that you know it's great it was a great moment for the family and they, you know, they get a really nice pool at the end but this is something that has like a message exactly it's it's wild that you it's a great idea so you know, when we when we had met, we spoke about some things that you were doing. You were being honored for some work that you were doing. You're you've made a list of some sort. You were telling me about. You want to talk a little bit about that? What you're doing? Absolutely. So I was nominated for this wonderful award, award, the L'Oreal Paris Women of Worth Award, and I'm talking five thousand submissions across America, and I am one of ten honorees, which is huge. It's huge. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yes, they gave us a grant. Uh, for Room Redux, and they're doing an HBO Max special, which is coming out really soon. And so we're, we're going to be out there all over the place. But there's voting November 1st through 30th. You can vote every single day. I implore everyone I know to vote every single day. 
for me so that I'll win and then we get another big grant, $25,000 grant for Room Redux and not to mention the exposure and all those wonderful things, but it's so exciting. I mean, when I was in LA and when we filmed the two days prior, that's what I was doing, filming for L'Oreal Paris. That's amazing. I mean, it's so cool. It's, you know, often we see in this, in our, you know, society, people that are rewarded for not doing great things. (laughs) (laughs) They're just rewarded, right? And it's nice to see people that are doing great things, making a difference and making a difference in the lives of children who have been victimized and traumatized and, and helping them take that first step towards healing. I mean, as someone who is a survivor, it was a victim survivor and, and went through horrific circumstances that I wouldn't wish upon anyone. I commend you for what you guys are doing. It's a really wonderful program. Um, we will add uh, all the links to the show notes of today's episode for you to follow Susie, follow Room Redux, uh, a link to her L'Oreal campaign that they are doing, and, uh, and ways to get in touch and donate to her nonprofit, Room Redux. Yeah. Susie, um, thank you so much for being on the program. It's been wonderful, and it's really amazing how you're helping children just move past their trauma. Thank you, Collier. We need to get a chapter out in L.A. You need to come help. That'd be fun. Absolutely. You You can can tell them that. (laughs) Thank you. You know, we hear a lot of stories of just doom and gloom and sadness and just sorrow and uh, going through such traumatic circumstances. And just to see somebody like Susie with all her positivity and her energy out there in the world making a difference in the smallest way, right? And you wouldn't think that just changing a child's room would change their life, but it really does. I think about, you know, just like I said in the interview, if I was a kid and I had to go back into the home where my mother was murdered, right? That would re-traumatize me. And being able, you know, even though kids are really resilient, being able to give that child a fresh start with a new outlook and a new room and new toys and just a new experience. Also with, with these mental health tools, you know, placed in the room to help them deal with their trauma. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I can't believe that no one's done this before. And I'm sure there probably are organizations out there. I don't know of any, I think what room redux and what Susie and her team are doing is absolutely incredible. And I know 100% that my mother would have been like, where do I volunteer? And where are you going to volunteer to, Collier? It's just a great thing to see, you know, uh, just giving these kids hope when, you know, just letting them know that people are there for them and and care about them and love them, that they don't even know. Strangers. It's, it makes a huge impact on their lives. So um, I'm, I was, I'm very fortunate to have Susie on the program. I wish her all the best with her competition with L'Oreal Women of Worth and uh, with Room Redux. Uh, I'm going to be involved in the organization as well. So I'm pretty excited about that as well. So uh, that'll be really cool. And um, you guys have a great weekend and, you know, just try to be that change in your world if you can. And if not, it's cool too. So on that note, I'm Collier Landry and this is Moving Past Murder. Thanks y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. 
The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio in association with RSA Entertainment. Please visit mpmpodcast.com to show your support today.